Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Today we are finishing, finishing our series called The Good Life. We have been investigating for, this is our eighth week, uh, what does it mean to live the good life? Where is it found? How do I get there? And we've been doing that by tracking through the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, today we're going to wrap up by looking, sort of glancing through chapters 9 through 12. And what it is, is really about the end. It's kind of the, the, the book ends talking about the end which is uh, good because all things kind of need an ending. We, we need a way to mark the ends of things. When I was growing up, I've said before, we were basketball people. We, we had uh, Spurs tickets. My dad split season tickets with a couple other people, and then he would use them for business or for clients or whatever. And so we got to go to a few games a year, but we'd have Spurs season tickets. And, but he was the organizer, and so every year at the end of the year, they would send a, a retrospective VHS tape in the mail. It was like the best day of the year. Like there's one. That's 1995s, just in case you're wondering. Um, and so every year you'd get this VHS tape in, the in, in an envelope in the mailbox, which I don't know if you remember 1995, but the mailbox was about as cool as it got. And then as, as a kid, I'd open it up and it was just the best. It was like a 35-minute highlight video of all of the best things. It was like professionally narrated and there's all these incredible like swings and they kind of build a story out of it. And and what they would do is distill eight months and 82 games and all of this stuff. They distill it into 30 minutes or so. And, And on one level, it was really great because you got to relive the thing that you really like in short form. On another end, it was a little bit depressing because you realize that thing you just spent eight months on, you could have just watched the 30-minute tape at the end of the year. Maybe you have a, a senior yearbook. Maybe that's your version of this. If I said, hey, can you go back somewhere in the back of your closet and find your high school yearbook? You'd look in there, and you would say, four years of my life, and what I have to show for it is a few pictures and a couple poorly written blurbs, and that's that's kind of it. That's all I got out of those four years is this, this picture of the chess club or the band. You know, that's all it is. What, what happens is when things end, we want to mark the end. We want to boil it down into some consumable bit. I'm thinking about that a lot this week, not only because of where we are in the scripture and we're going to get into that, but because last weekend we had like just one of the sweetest, most moving memorial services we've had. Just a beautiful time of remembrance and celebration of a life well lived. We spent a whole week leading up to it. Um, I heard all these stories. As, as the minister at a memorial service, you hear stories. You sit with family and you hear just things you would never expect to hear, things you would never know, and things that no one else will ever know. These little gems start emerging of just a life well lived. And then someone in the family sweetly puts together a 30-minute slideshow, like that kind of VHS highlight tape. A 30-minute slideshow that gets circulated around. It plays before and after the service so people can watch and kind of reminisce. During the service itself, that gets boiled down to a four-minute slideshow. One song, four minutes, nine decades, boiled down. A highlight reel can't really capture every moment, but it can give a sense, can't it? 
And so for that one day, we got a sense for a, an incredible life lived. We got an, a, a sense for, for a, a, a life that we should celebrate, a life of faith and faithfulness. But it's a whole life boiled down. And when you do that, when you take anything and boil it down, if you're, if you're a cook in here and you ever reduce something and it just gets sweeter or more pungent or more profound, as you take, you know, I have, a, I have a Brussels sprout recipe. I'll share it with you. I know you like Brussels sprouts. My wife's company begs for this when we go to their Christmas party. They say, just have Kyle bring his Brussels sprouts, which is, you know, nobody likes Brussels sprouts until, well, what we do is we get tart ter- cherry juice and sriracha and a few other things I can't tell you about, and you just boil it down over about an hour and a half. And what you get is a kind of a sticky, sweet, cherry, hot goodness, and then you put that on, you put that on a shoe and eat it. People are good with it, <laughs> which is why the, that's why the Brussels sprouts win. But it's reduced, and it just gets, it gets more powerful when you reduce it. Well, this last weekend, it was one of those more powerful reduced moments where you reduce this life into, a, into these moments and these stories. I had multiple people tell me after the service that they really felt the need, having been there, to step up. Multiple people said, I need to live a better life. I have to live with more purpose. I need to better, be a better dad or better friend. Or better. Multiple people came... I didn't ask, hey, come tell me if this inspires you. People just said, I need to do better. If that's, if that's like a life and that's going to be me one day, I got to get better because I'm nowhere, I'm nowhere close. I thought that was really inspiring for me. Because what we are talking about today is this idea that there is an ending ahead of us. And it's jarring to think about that at times, but it's, it's also helpful that one day the people we love will be gathered around to tell stories of the life we lived. And the writer of Ecclesiastes, he calls himself the preacher. He's pointing to that moment for us. He's closing his writings up, something of a summary. There's some wisdom and a little bit more of the repeated things he's been saying throughout the way, but, but he's closing it down. So, so let me remind you what he's already told us, Ecclesiastes 3, 19 and 20. He said this, humans and animals, this is where it gets a little depressing, come to the same end. Humans die, animals die. We all breathe the same air, so there's no advantage in being human, none everything's smoke. We all end up in the same place. We all come from dust. We all end up as dust. Having written that, it's as if, as he's getting towards the end, he goes, look, I know that's a lot. Maybe I said it a little more harshly than I needed to, but it's the reality. Everything's smoke. Don't let it get you down, though. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7, he says, so go, listen, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let oil, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life, and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. He's saying, look, it it is all going to end. It is all smoke on some level. But that shouldn't stop you from realizing that it's a, it's a gift and it's a thing to be enjoyed and it's a thing to, be, to drink in deeply of the, the goodness of life. It's here today, though, and it's gone tomorrow. So don't miss the joy of today because you're so busy looking at tomorrow because tomorrow it's over before you blink. Your kids and your grandkids, if you're lucky enough, will be shakily grasping a paper, standing at a podium in someone else's church telling stories about your life. Speaking about who you were, trying to capture your character in an anecdote, in a story, 
laughing through tears and then telling a few more stories of the reception. The preacher says, friends, you're, you're, you're going to be gone. And it's going to feel, once you get there, it's going to feel like it happened so fast. He's saying, soak up today, make the days worth it, live the life you want to be remembered by, because the life that you want to be remembered by doesn't last as long as it feels like it does today. And so he's essentially, in the, as he closes, trying to help with this. The preacher's trying to help. So he adds some Proverbs into the mix. The writer of Proverbs, there's Proverbs in the Bible, but the writer of Ecclesiastes actually has some Proverbs just kind of within the writings. Deep fried nuggets of wisdom, I would say. Let's taste it. Let me just taste the sampling with you. Ecclesiastes 10.8. He says, he who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. To which we say, yeah, of course, everybody, everybody knows that about the wall serpents. What? So you do a little research, you start figuring out, what does this mean? Well, one, Bob Marley quoted the first part of this um, in the Small Axe song, but that's, that's irrelevant. Um, you dig a pit for others, you set traps for others, you're ugly to others, guess what? You're going to be the one falling into that pit. It's kind of like, it's a little what goes around comes around-ish, a little. There's that there, but then that serpent line got me, because I don't like snakes. And what, he's, what it means is, you've heard this term hedge of protection. You've been in church long enough, you've heard of a hedge of protection. This is, this is like saying God has created a hedge of protection around you. God has created a wall of, by his commandments and his, his grace. And in that, in that world, when you're within God's will and his agenda and his commandments, when you're there, you're safe. And he's saying when you break through the wall of that, when you exit that hedge, when you get outside that wall, there's an enemy waiting on the other side and it will bite. And all of a sudden, this little like, quizzical phrase gets pretty clear. And you go, man, when I look at my life, the places that I, I felt the most pain are usually the places where I've exited that wall. I've, I've gotten outside of God's will and God's commands and God's design for my life, and then I wondered why it was so painful once I got out there. Verse 12, he says, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. Who hasn't that been true for? These days, especially anything you say can be used against you in the court of public opinion, right? Ecclesiastes 10.19, through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. This is a little lesson from the book of Ecclesiastes on deferred maintenance and laziness. It's not just about your house, although it may be about your house. I got a pipe that's leaking in my upstairs right now. You know what I got under the sink? A little bowl. We're getting it fixed pretty soon. We got it. We got a plan. I'm going to let a professional do it. You know why it leaks? It's because I helped put it in. So we're going to let somebody who knows what they're doing get that fixed. But right now, it's just the bowl catching that water. I let that go long enough. Guess what? I'm going to have water everywhere because the bowl isn't going to hold it for so long. It's about your house, so fix that leak. Maybe that's about your body. Maybe mix in a workout. Maybe it's about your mind. Turn off the TV and read a book. What it's saying is, is you either do the work on a thing or you can expect it to start breaking down. Okay, that's helpful. That's helpful. This is day-to-day wisdom. Ecclesiastes has 24 verses of Proverbs. Like I said, there is a book of Proverbs in your Bible, 31 chapters of it. So if you're asking the question, how do I grow in wisdom, or how do I make the most of this life, or, or really, if you're saying, how do I improve my highlight reel video just a little bit? Like, what's the strategy for that? I'd say maybe start with the book of Proverbs. If you need a help to get there, because some of these need a little interpretation, because no one knows what the snakes and the walls are all about, uh, Tim Keller wrote a book. It's a 365-day, that's a one-year devotional called God's Wisdom for Navigating Life. He and his wife put this together. It's really good. It's like 12 bucks. So 
if you're going, I would like to live in greater wisdom, I would like to maybe root myself in God's word, and I, I would like to maybe figure out what it means to live well, there's your suggestion for the day. So now, the writer of Ecclesiastes drops some final words. The last two verses actually are these two in chapter 12. It says, the end of the matter. All has been heard. So fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The writer said, everything has been heard. At the end of the day, we've been through it all. We've gone through all the different things of life. Everything is vanity and it's smoke and it's vapor. We've said that. So what do you do if that's the reality? He says, you fear God. And we talked about this, fearing God. What is this fear? Am I cowering? For? No, it's the fear. It's the respect of the tornado in your neighbor's backyard. You go, I can't control that thing. I better, I better pay attention. I respect. How do, we, how do we fear or respect God in that sense? And he says it really quickly. Keep his commandments, which, if we're honest, can feel like a lot. Keep his commandments. Which ones? Like all of them? Have you read the Old Testament? There's like a million. Is there a way, I mean, we're talking about building height. Can we build like a highlight video of the commandments where we just get like one or two? Can we do that? Because that'd be easier than getting all the commandments. Guess what? Jesus is here for you. Matthew 22. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together and they said, hey, Jesus, I'm going to read this. This is my, my interpretation before we get to the quotes. Hey, Jesus, can you boil down all those commandments into a highlight video for us? Because that seems like a lot. Which is the greatest, though? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this. It's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. All of it. Love God with everything you've got. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything you've got which is a nice thing to say in church, but let's be honest. What does that mean? How do you do that? What is practically, how do you love God with everything you've got? So what we're gonna do is a little imperfect comparison, okay? I'm telling you this is an imperfect comparison. Don't email me about this one because I know it's not, it's not the best. But remember young love? Maybe you're witnessing it in someone else right now. Maybe you remember your own young love. Remember when you are just head over heels for somebody, when you would drop everything to be with somebody, when you abandon your friends to be with somebody else, and they think you just left and walked in the ocean and never came back, it, the truth is you, you were feeling a little in love. You spend all day and night with these people. You end up quitting some of the habits, or, or you quit things you like to do, or you start doing things differently because that's the way they would prefer they be done. I don't overfill the washing machine as much as I used to. I have a habit of filling up the hamper, taking the hamper, opening the lid of the washer, and pouring everything from the hamper in. If it's not over the lid and the lid still closes, I feel like this is a pretty good idea, right? It, they wouldn't make it that big if it couldn't handle it. <laughs> the one that I love would tell me, probably accurately, that this is probably not the best way to do things. She would say I should separate things, maybe even by color. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Over time, I have learned to do it the way that she would prefer it. 
One, because I trust that she probably knows better than I do in this realm. Two, because it pleases her just a little bit if I do it the way she would prefer I do it, and it costs me nothing. And so, guys, this is a little hint. Just do it that way. Also, when I do it my way, the, the washer walks like five feet out of the space, you know? <laughs> it starts spinning, and it's all, you know, that's a problem. The kids thought there was a hurricane the other day. Dad was washing his clothes. I changed the habits that, that would, would bless my wife. I changed the way I do things. I don't care. how. I don't walk away. I don't care. Colors, whites, it doesn't matter to me. But I change. Why? Because I'm in love, and I want to please the one who I love. Remember when you were at Young Love, it is the first thing you thought about when you woke up? Is that person? Last thing you thought about when you went to bed? I don't know if people still talk on the phone. I don't know if that's still a thing. Back in my day, sorry, everybody, I think, went through this at some point or knew someone who did and then rolled their eyes when two people would be so deeply in love and they're on the phone, but they both need to go to bed and neither one's going to bed and no one wants to say goodbye first. And I love you. Well, I love you. Well, I'm not going to say goodbye. I'm not going to say goodbye. Sometimes you just sleep on the phone. Oh, let's just sleep on the phone together. How romantic. You're like, that's not that romantic. And then they would have to say it at the same time. All right, on three, on three, I'll tell you. Okay, I love you. Goodbye. Are you still there? Oh, I'm so glad. (laughs) That's the kind of love that we're cultivating here. So don't get me wrong. I said this was imperfect. God's love is not romantic in this way. Okay? These are not equivalents. But if you ask me what it means to love God with all your heart and all your life, you could do worse than obeying him and dropping the stuff he doesn't like. The things in his word that he says aren't for your flourishing, maybe the washer shouldn't be walking down the hallway. Maybe just drop that and do it the way God says to do it. God is saying, maybe if you loved me, you would just do the things the way I know to do them. I made you. I get this. Maybe maybe you could do worse than talking to God first thing in the morning. The first thing you think of, God of the universe, you gave me breath today. Maybe it's the last thing you think of when you go to bed. Instead of passing out to whatever's on Netflix or Sunday night football, it's on into overtime, and you can't keep your eye open, but you've you got to make sure you see the end of it. Maybe the last thing you think about is you're opening up Proverbs, and you go, God, let that wisdom just consume me tonight. Let that wisdom soak in. Maybe you find extra time in the day. Remember, you can abandon all those other things that don't really matter, like those friends that are no good for you anyway. Maybe you start abandoning the things that aren't that good for you anyway, and you begin to chase God with your time cultivate a connection. You grow in faith. You grow in relationship. What does it mean to love God with all your heart? It begins to mean I spend my time, I I run my life through the filter of God and God's Word. Ecclesiastes is telling us that one day you're going to wake up and you're going to feel the end. Depending on where you are in your life today, maybe you can't feel that today. Maybe that's like I can, I can, like in some cerebral sense, I know that eventually life ends. I get that. But maybe you're, you're feeling it. One way or another, you will have a day where you start to realize that life on earth is more brief than you realized at the beginning. And you begin to look back as the preacher in Ecclesiastes looks back, and you realize how much of life we spend on vanity and vapor and mist and smoke. How much of life we spend on the things that are just wafting away. I've talked to some people in their retirement years. They say they feel this kind of looming you begin to make different decisions 
about what you're going to spend your time on and how you're going to vacation, and you, you have a different sense of where, where am I, what am I doing with the rest of my life? Because I don't know, I may have 10, I may have 30 years left, I'm not sure, but I've got to use them. And then I've had these people in retirement, they will tell me it seems like yesterday that fill in the blank, that I was your age, that I had kids, that my kids were in diapers, that I was in high school. It seems like yesterday, which means it goes quickly. We have parents with kids at home thinking, man, this takes forever. We're not even halfway there. And yet we know a few that had kids that were, felt like they were in diapers yesterday and they're driving today. Sesame Street becomes real-life problems pretty quick. Young adults and students, it's like yesterday you were showing up for kindergarten. You remember your teacher's name. You can smell the classroom if you think about it. You'll be retiring tomorrow. You don't have to wait to graduate. You're retired. What the preacher's saying is it's going to go quickly, more quickly than you think. So he's saying don't wait to find the joy inherent in life. Don't live for the smoke. Live for the kind of things your children will say about you at your celebration of life. For a legacy of faith and faithfulness, loving God and loving neighbor, for eternal things, because the eternal things, they do last. But the vanity of the latest trend is dust. Dust. We all came from dust. To dust we all return. We will one day be absent from the body and present with the Lord. But for today, Scripture is saying there is a life to live. There is a joy to be found. Walt Whitman, the great American poet, compared life to a great play being written. The name of this one poem was, O Me, O Life. I think it was written in 1896, if I got that right. And what he's saying is you and I are all actors in this play, this this cosmic play that the Creator has put on. We are adding to this cosmic story that God has written on this stage set by a Creator with love driving scene after scene after scene. And he says that you and I add our verse to the unfolding drama around us, that we see the vanity and the meaninglessness. We see the smoke of life, and we have We have the briefest set of days to transcend that smoke, to live for something on a higher plane, to add a verse, a line, a moment to the scene that we happen to inhabit, to add a life that when boiled down, distilled into a few sentences, into a few words of reflection, to add a life that will feel like it mattered. We'll put it on the screen. I want you to read it with me. He says, Oh, me. Oh, life, of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of the cities filled with the foolish, of myself forever reproaching myself. For who more foolish than I and who more faithless, of eyes that vainly crave the light, of the objects mean, of the struggle ever renewed, of the poor results of all, of the plodding and sordid crowds I see around me, of the empty and useless years of the rest, with the rest me intertwined. The question, O me, so sad and recurring, what good amid these, O me, O life? Answer. That you are here, that life exists, an identity, that the powerful play goes on, and that you may contribute a verse. 
that you are here. The questions of life may swirl around the what is it about and what is it for and why the pain and why the suffering and what is it all about? God, why? God, how did it come to be this way? What are you doing in this moment? Why is it like this? God, what is it? Of the sad recurring moments of life, of the questions we have, oh me, oh life, what is the point? Answer, that you are here that life exists, that you've been given this moment, that their powerful play goes on, and you have been given the privilege to contribute a verse to the work of the Creator. The powerful play goes on, and you have one chance and one moment right now in this place to add your mark, to add your verse. You are creating a remembrance of your days now, today. Your eulogy is being written right now. Your hindsight highlight slideshow is being created today, this week, this month, right now. And the powerful play goes on, and you, you might add a story. You might bring hope and light. You might be grace to someone in desperate need. And the cosmic, eternal, powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. You you were created and built and designed that you might create a verse to add to the cosmic, unfolding, beautiful, eternal story of the God of the universe. The play goes on, and you will contribute a verse. So the question as we close this book, as we close the good life, as we ask, what am I here for? The question we finish with is, what will your verse be? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are easily, easily confused. Father, I let a Saturday slip by. I let a Tuesday glide right on past. God, the way that, that we use time and the way that we see life and the preciousness of our breath, Father, each and every one of us on one level or another would admit that there are moments that we let it slip through that we entertain the smoke and the vapor instead of chasing what is eternal and beautiful. So, Father, my prayer today is that you would inspire us to live the life you've called us to. God, you would inspire us knowing that it's short to live in the eternal today, to live for you today, to chase your beauty, to love you with all we have. Father, thank you for truth, even when it stings a bit. Thank you for truth when it snaps us out of the delusion. Thank you for truth when it means that Jesus truly came for us. God, we rest in his sacrifice, his death and resurrection. We rest in the reality of Jesus that we might live today on this earth as you've designed us, knowing that our eternity is wrapped up with you, that our tomorrow is secure, that our tomorrow is salvation. Father, thank you for including us in the play. Inspire us in the verse we are writing back to you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon for our live Sunday service at 9.30, 11 a.m. or 11 a.m. online. Thanks for listening.